Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see everyone this morning. We're continuing our series called Renovate, Renovating the Heart, Renovating, Transforming Our Lives. We're going to be in the book of Galatians today. And I'm excited to be uh, continuing in this, in this series with you because uh, it's been very impactful for me personally. And I, I hope that it's doing that in your life. Uh, we're going through this devotional together. If you haven't been doing this with us yet, there's no harm in starting this coming week. We're on day 11 when we start this coming week. And they're all single one-off devotions. So I'm posting those online and so you can kind of follow along with where the Lord's leading me. But I really feel like there's something stirring in my own life, and I'm prayerful that it's not just me, that it's not just a personal thing, but that God seeks to really transform uh, His people. And not just here, but everywhere, all through our city for sure, but all through this nation, all through this world, that God has a desire for great revival. That He has... (laughs) He has in his heart that all men would come to salvation. That's what he desires. At least that's what's written in, in second, first or second Peter there. And so as we go into Galatians today, we're, we're going to start digging on this idea of what it would look like to have our desires, to have our feelings be transformed by the love of Christ. What that would look like that he would actually touch not just our mind as we spoke of last week, not just our thoughts, and not just as we'll get to, not just what we do, but the way we feel, the, the way our emotions, our, our passions, our desires, that they too would line up under Christ. Maybe this is one of the hardest battlegrounds we, we deal with, honestly, because the way we feel sometimes totally overlaps the way we think. We may, we may go to bed this evening, in fact, and think tomorrow, and I'm probably going to do this tomorrow, I've got like a wonderful list of things that I want to do, Right? I want to start doing better on, on eating right. I, I want to start working out. I want, I want to make sure that tomorrow I handle, handle some relationships that I, maybe there's some people I haven't seen. Maybe there's some conversations I need to have. I've got this list of things that I want to do. But then tomorrow morning, I'm not a morning person. It doesn't seem to change. Some, some of you say that, you know, this could, this could, this could change over time. Uh, my father's in his 60s. He's still not a morning person. So it doesn't look hopeful to me. Um, and, and just so you know, at about 10 p.m., I come alive, right? I'm just, I'm ready to go. If there was more to do at 10, I'm your dude, right? That's just the way I am for some reason. And so I know that tomorrow the way I feel is going to affect what I do. And if I don't get that part, whatever I think the night before is not going to be enough. I've got to have a renovation of my passion of my desire. My desire for him has got to be greater than my desire for sleep or whatever. You fill in the blank. My desire for comfort, pleasure, that I would put him first. And so this is our theme verse. We've been digging in on on this idea throughout the entire series. And that's Proverbs chapter 4. It says, keep in your heart with all, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. Keep your heart with vigilance. As we dig in today, this idea of the heart, the place where decisions are made, the place where we truly are, we're going to focus on this idea today of the heart condition, which is the way we feel. Dallas Willard in his book that I've been kind of sharing with you guys called Renovation of the Heart. If, you haven't, if you're a reader, I would, I would greatly encourage you to check this one out. Dallas Willard's Renovation of the Heart. But he says this, Feelings live on the front row of our lives like unruly children clamoring for attention. They live on the front row and they're making a mess and they need your attention. And you probably should give them some so that you can shape them correctly. Otherwise, they will just rule you. So how are you feeling today? How are you feeling? You made it. I'm proud of you. You got up. Some of you got up this morning and you looked out the window and went, uh, okay, I'm up. Might as well. Maybe you had a job. I feel sorry for the worship team this morning. You had to be here, right? Some of you, though, I don't know which ones you are, but you thought about, do I call Jonathan this morning and go, I'm not feeling well, right? <laughs> that, those thoughts come to your mind, probably on the daily. 
How are you feeling? This is funny because we'll ask perfect strangers this. We'll say, how are you? And what we really mean is, how do you, how do you feel? How are you doing? Like, and that is a question not about what you do in life, but how in this moment, how do you feel? And people will normally say, good, you. And that's 90% of the time a lie, right? If you've got some real friends in your life, those are the ones who will say, you know, I'm not doing so hot. Or, I'm doing really great and here's why. How are you? We ask it all the time. I'm asking you now and I want you to really search deep. How are you doing? How do you feel? They can be, these, these feelings can be a blessing or they can be a curse. We'll often put them in two categories. The way we feel is either pleasurable or painful. It's either helpful or it's harmful. Sometimes we're encouraged and, and we, we just, we're ready to take on the world. And other times we're depressed, we're discouraged, we're anxious. And these things end up limiting our ability when God has given us incredible gifts. And yet our feelings cause us to do little or nothing. How do you feel? In Christ Jesus, our hearts, our minds, did you know even our feelings are to be renovated? What feelings carried you to church today? Excitement? Boredom? (laughs) I hope not. Enthusiasm? Love? Joy? Hopefully one of these things. Feelings, my friends, can be really good servants or they can be absolutely terrible masters. We need to be controlled not by our desires, but by the love of Christ in us. His heart, His mind. That's the encouragement of the Scriptures today. If you get nothing else today, I want you to understand this. God desires to shape even the way you feel. And He has a plan for you to have peace and joy. And that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in the fruit of the Spirit. This is a a very famous passage to a right many of you, but I'm, I'm confident. As Isaiah said, his word never returns void, that you're going to get a fresh insight today. So let's get in. We're into Paul's letter to the Galatians, and here he is teaching how to yield the desires, how to yield those feelings to the Spirit of God for renovation, to no longer be controlled by this old way of thinking, this old passion, this old nature. And the text is going to show us how to yield our, yield our feelings. So let's go. We're in Galatians chapter 5, picking up at verse 16. Through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. How true is that? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. God bless the reading of His Word. Amen. What wonderful news this is today. It might sound heavy at first, but I just see, I see the victory of Christ in this word. That, that we can yield to him and that he does this amazing work in us that we really couldn't do for ourselves. So how do we do it? How do we yield our, our feelings to God for renovation? The first is fairly clear, I think, in the text. And that is to rely on the Spirit to overcome and replace your old desires. Rely on the Spirit. If you, if you were the type to underline your Bible or, or your notes, I would say underline those words, walk by the Spirit. That means we no longer walk in our own way. We no longer walk in who says whatever people say I should walk. No, I walk in the Holy Spirit. That, that word there is capital S Spirit, pneuma, Holy Spirit. And this idea of walking is the way, it's a Hebrew kind of term which has the sense of The way we move about, the way we do life, the way we think, the way we act, the way we live. To 
to walk by the Spirit means this is who I am. I am led by, by the Holy Spirit of God. And that what that means begins to unpack itself. That when I walk with Christ, when I walk with the Holy Spirit, I no longer gratify the things that have always shaken me up. It's not that I'm not tempted by these things. Don't hear that. Don't, don't hear that in the message and go, well, what in the world is wrong with me? Because you and I still have temptation. I, I, I don't believe Paul is denying that at all. In fact, Paul speaks often about a thorn in his flesh or other things that he is wrestling and struggling with. There are temptations that we fight uniquely and some that we fight just as humanity. He's not saying that those things won't tempt you. However, when we walk by the Spirit, we don't gratify those things. When they tempt us, we say no. Because when we walk with Christ, He shows us a better insight, a better way that doesn't fall to these traps constantly, constantly. Gratify the desires. Flesh, oppose. Look at verse 17. This one is like so clear, and yet as I read it again this morning, it's like jumping off the page to me. The desires of my flesh are constantly against the Holy Spirit of God. Even as a believer, even as a Christian, I can't help but at times want or think things that are so opposed to what Jesus would have for me. His best for me. That I think and act so differently. And what does it do? The very thing he says. Verse 17. It keeps me from doing the things that I want to do. Now we have a lot of different, I guess, life goals perhaps as, as people. But as Christians, something starts to shape our lives. Or at least it should. The more we walk with him, the more we really want something bigger than what we see in this earth. Heaven starts to look different to us over time. We start to think a whole lot more about who's coming with me. Who's coming with me? And how am I knowing God more every day? How is my life being shaped by the all-powerful creator for this eternity that I can't even hardly fathom? If my life is indeed, maybe I get 80 years, I hope. Maybe I get more, I don't know. But in the scheme of things, that's extremely short. So how am I readying myself for eternity? It's, it's, a, it's a mind exploder for me to even really go there and chase that rabbit and go, I can't fathom. Time just gets so confusing to me when you start talking about that infinite sign. So when I walk in the Spirit, the things I desire change, but I don't always chase them. And that's why he says, when I walk in the flesh... I do the very things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want. Paul says this in another place. The very things I want to do, I don't do. The things I want to do, I don't do. And so frustrating this life can be, especially if we try to walk it in our own strength. This, the sense of this is about abiding. The sense of this is about yielding. The one thing I don't want you to do as you walk out today is to go, boy, I need to try a lot harder. That's not the message of the cross. The message of the cross instead is, I was never going to be able to do it. I was never going to be able to do this. My sin has so separated me from my heavenly God that I was stuck. And no amount of effort would ever change that but God. But he sent his son Jesus. He did the thing I could not do. My step now is what? To yield. Which is a hard step. I'm not belittling it at all. That's me saying, I am not God. I am not in charge of my life. I am not the king of my, my, my country. I am not the king of my reality. He is. And if that's true, what does it look like to walk by the Spirit? That means every day when I, when I hop up out of bed, I've got to say the same stuff every day. It never gets old. I think this is why Paul says, I beat my body daily and make it my slave. It's not that he's some kind of weirdo and literally striking himself. He's saying, I've got to shape myself every morning and go, all right, slap myself off the throne again. I really, this is kind of what I feel when I read Paul there. It's like, as soon as I get out of bed, I really want to take charge all over again. I, I would like to run this day the way I want. And then when it goes completely kaput, I wonder, huh, who's to blame? Well, look, it's me. It's me on the throne of my life again. So every day, daily, I have to, Lord, okay, you're in charge. And I'm your man. Show me today how to walk by the Spirit. Show me today how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
guide my steps today, the, the conversations I have today. I even give it all. I just start to lay it at his feet when I start the day and say, all right, I feel tired. I feel discouraged. I feel depressed. Or I feel encouraged. I'm ready to take it on. But God, I want to go where you go. I want to do what you do and think as you think. This is why in so many passages of Scripture, it talks about this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, he could have, I think, inserted a lot of different things there. This was the particular thing he was speaking on at the moment. But he could have said, instead of filling your life with material goods, instead of filling your life with relationship after relationship after relationship, which leads to unhappiness, instead be filled with the Spirit. He could have put a lot of things there, I believe. The end state remains the same. Be filled with the Spirit. You want to know how to live a life that honors God and gives you meaning and purpose like you've never experienced? Walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit of God. We work out what God's already working in us. This is what Paul writes to the Philippians. Chapter 2, it says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. In that same book I just recommended earlier, he, he gives this story of like a counseling situation that he has. And I've found this to be true not only in my life, but I've seen it a lot. He describes this, this woman he was helping. And he says, she had gotten this thought in her head that she'd been treated unfairly for years, both in her marriage and in her job. And there was likely some, there was real injustices there, but she had so dwelt on it. Rather than sensibly addressing some of the circumstances, she just turned her mind over more and more to the thought that this isn't fair. This isn't fair. People treat me poorly. And she surrounded herself and welcomed sympathetic friends who would just, they were yes men and women. They would just tell her what, yeah, what you're feeling is right. What you're feeling is true. Rather than question any of it. Then this thing that the Bible calls the root of bitterness. Speaks of this in Hebrews chapter 12 gradually begin to spread over her whole personality, seeping deeply into her body and into her soul. It became something you can see in her very bodily motions, her actions, her, all of this was oozing even through her language. It affects her capacity to see what is actually going on around her, to realize what she is actually doing, and to think thoroughly and consistently. That person can no longer be reasoned with. Their wrong feelings lead to wrong thinking, leading to a bitterness of heart. I've been there. I bet a right many of you have too. I've, I've worked jobs in the past where at some point in the journey, it's like something just flipped. Something flipped and I couldn't get over it. And I begin to think every day, a growing thing, I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this. Some of you have had relationships like that. That something did go wrong and there was truth to that. But you, it then became a root of bitterness in your life where no matter what this person did, said right, it was too late. Because you dwelt again and again on the dark. The dark thought, the dark emotion. The thing that was wrong, you couldn't overcome it. And it became your life. You've seen people like this, I know. Maybe you've been this at times. Where the very way they look, a person who holds on to something like that for most of their life, it shapes the way their face looks. You know, joy, happiness, this funny thing happens. Just look in the mirror sometime and just say, I'm going to make a pleasant face. And notice how unwrinkly your face is. Now, if you're a big smile with big eyebrows, you might get some lines up top. That'd be cool. All right, no worries. But if you're an angry person, you'll get this wonderful, you'll start to have a line that goes from the top of your nose behind your head. I mean, it'll, and I've got it. You see it coming in? This is called Nate, Addie, Kenzie, and Brielle. And every one, it just gets a little bigger. And they don't want to see me like that. And I don't want to be that way. Our very emotions begin to shape the way we look such that people will start to avoid you. They'll avoid you because every time they tell you something, you're so discouraged you can't help be happy for them. You, you just can't do it. 
because you're just too down. So people begin to stop telling you things. Oh, Lord, don't tell Jonathan something bad. He will bite your head off. Don't tell him anything. Just good stuff. Just good news, fluff, shallow level. People start walking on pins and needles around you. And that's not the gospel. That's not Christ in you. That's certainly not walking by the Spirit. Something can change. Forgiveness is at the heart of it. Forgiveness maybe of yourself, but certainly of others. Rely on the Holy Spirit to overcome and replace your bad old desires for new ones. Here's the second. And he goes into this really difficult piece of the Scripture. But let the Spirit lead in revealing and correcting your feelings. Let the Spirit lead in revealing and correcting your feelings. Now what I'm not going to do right now is do a show of hands. All right, let's look at verses 19 and 20. Which ones you got? All right, you know. You know, verses 19 through 21. You know what you're dealing with. And there's some of them in there that we as Christians just flat out don't want to even consider the possibility that we could be struggling in this way. And yet a right many of us are. I think he puts Paul, it seems to me, he puts these somewhat categorically. Now, it kind of looks like he's just throwing mud at the wall. And maybe to some extent that's true. He had no real desire, I think, in this section of Scripture to make something beautiful. In fact, it seems his intent is to just splatter a bunch of nasty stuff your way that you're struggling with that you'll go, it's like a shock and all. So you go, yeah, okay, that one. And he's just, there's 15 right here. There's nine seeds of the fruit. There's only 15... There's 15 here characteristics of the sinful life. And they seem to be in four categories. The first one is the one we really don't want to talk about. And those are the three sexual characteristics. Immorality, impurity, sensuality. The word, the very first word he leads with is a familiar one to us. It's the word porneia. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Did you know you have some Greek knowledge? Bet you didn't know that. That the Greek word here has become one of the biggest crises in our culture. It just is. Parents in the room with young sons, I got news for you. They've done all kinds of studies on this. Very few men get by without. Very few men. In fact, I heard a quote once before, and it's kind of funny but sad. He, he said, you know, 90% of, us have, 90% of us men have struggled with this, and the other 10% are lying. Um, I think... At least from my generation, it's a difficult, it is a, it is a stronghold of the evil one. Even when Paul was writing, it was a terrible thing. There was places you could go to, to do awful things like this. In fact, it was part of Greek worship in many, many places. Part of their worship was to go and lie with a prostitute. Just horrible stuff. But we are no better. I would say, in fact, it's more inundated in our society than even theirs. So easy to struggle in this department. And, and, and impurity and sensuality, this is the idea of to just totally give in to one's lust, to be licentious, to be shameless about it. These are these, this first group that so many of us wrestle with. And perhaps we've not given over to Christ and allowed Him to reveal it. That's the, that's the thing as Paul lists this is, you're not under the law anymore. The works of the flesh no longer apply to you. Let these things, let this be a revelation. Don't be beat up. Don't feel ashamed. But know this. Christ Jesus has overcome it. This stuff no longer has real power in your life. Walking in the Spirit will remove it. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to look at this and go, Yeah, I struggle with lust. I struggle with excess in this, this way. And the, the Lord revealing that is the first step to me really addressing it. <laughs> One pastor once said, the beginning of, or, the beginning of healing... Revealing is the beginning of healing. There it is. Revealing is the beginning of healing. So you can't even come to a place where you heal until first you see the problem. It's revealed to you. The second grouping, you've got the sexual sins and you've got this spiritual group where he says idolatry and sorcery. And most of us write both of those off and say, well, that's some old language. I don't know what that is. I would say idolatry might be the greatest sin in America, period. We're really, really good at worshiping. People are. You know why? Because God made us that way. He made us for worship, and we're going to worship something. We just are. We cannot not do it. we got people all throughout our society. What they worship is their pets. It's crazy. 
And if that's you today, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you, but maybe you need to be offended. If God, Pet over God? What just happened? What happened there? People worship wild stuff. They worship their careers. They worship their finances. They worship relationships. They worship their idols. And this is who I want to be like. And I've so put that person on. Idolatry is just prevalent in our society. I bet each and every one of you have some sort of thing there that you've put really as your greatest aspiration. And it's not knowing God and enjoying Him more fully. You've put something else. My love for my wife is greater. Maybe you, I would hope, would never say it, but your activity shows it. Idolatry. Sorcery. Surely we don't do that. And yet this has the idea of the use of of drugs. Isn't that crazy? That people would use substances in order to see spirits and things like that in the day. Wow, that doesn't happen anymore. Okay. Sexual sin. Spiritual sin. Then this, this, this big group, the one where he spends a lot of time, is the relational stuff. He says enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, envy. That whole group is about how we treat one another. And it's a mark of the evil one, really. It's a mark of who we were not in Christ. So, friend, when I look at that list, I say, God, where am I these things? Where am I unnaturally jealous of things? Like, where am I angry, overly angry? I mean, that, I had gotten to a point over the last several years where anger almost felt like a spiritual gift. I mean, I just stayed angry a lot, and I keep having to give that one back. It's like, I don't know what he's doing in you, but every day he keeps bringing this one back up. He keeps bringing this one back up to me. Okay, God, I got it. I got it. Why am I so angry? Put that aside. I lay that at your feet. Walking in the Spirit, I don't boil over. This is this idea of, the word here is thumos. It's the idea of something boiling, where we get things like thermos, thermostat, thermometer. It's about heat rising. And that's how I am. Or envy, or divisions. And then the last section is about, perhaps you might call it addiction. Drunkenness and orgies. We hear that second word and we assume it's something sexual. That's not the intent of this word. It's more about wild nighttime partying, drunkenness, like wild stuff. So that's the idea of this being addicted to either a substance or this wild living. That's the idea of the last section. To which Paul says in verse 21, now look, I've warned you about it. (laughs) Here's the bad news today, church. You've been warned. You've been warned. And he says, not only am I warning you now in this letter, but I warned you before. So Paul's saying, look, I've already come through Galatians and told you about this. Now you've got it in writing. You need to know something. Those who walk in Christ, they don't live in this. Now this is a very, this is a very defeating thing that he says here. And it might make some of you extremely nervous. And that I don't think is his point. He says in verse 21 that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That might make you think, okay, well, I just struggled yesterday I, I got drunk yesterday, or I just struggled yesterday being furious with my neighbor, or I'm, I'm super jealous over this thing, or, and you're sitting here going, well, I've, I've had an issue with one of these 15. I'm not inheriting the kingdom of God? That's not the point of this passage, because I want you to see something. In verse 21, he says, those who do such things, the word do there is a participle, which is normally in English translated with an ing. What he means here is those who are constantly doing such things. Those who exercise them, have a life pattern this way, continually in it, and have no repentance. That seems to be the heart of Paul's letter here. It's not that you struggle. We all do. It's that you are consistently unrepentant, staying in it, and you get to the point where you're completely unashamed of it. You'd rather live in it than anything else. I think to me what Paul is saying here is that's a sign of unbelief. It's a sign of unbelief. Because I got news for you, friends. I'm very imperfect. If you came to church today hoping to get perfect pastor, they don't exist. I know that's really bad news. They don't exist. You can go to any church in town and you'll find some really broken people. In fact, some, I've read studies from like Barna and stuff. Did you know that some of the most broken people in this world choose to go into careers like pastoral and counseling? Isn't that weird? Some of the most messed up people you'll ever deal with are probably helping you like psychologists and stuff. And do you know why that is? It's because we've been wrestling with demons for a while and we think we might can help others. I'm not sure that's totally my case. I 
I was called out by God. I very much wanted to do something else. And he said, no, I need, not I need, but I want you. I want you to do this. I need him. And I'm a mess. (laughs) And the more I pastor, the more I realize that. Isn't that wonderful? In fact, when I planted this church, my dad said, this is going to be not only a wonder and and a wonderful work for you, but it's also going to be your crucifixion. And that might sound messed up, but he's right about that. I needed to die to self in so many ways. If I'm really going to be good at this, if you're really going to be a good follower of Christ, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's what he says. And there's joy and love and peace. The fruit of the Spirit's hiding over there in the place you would think never to look. Deny myself, take up my cross, and follow me. Follow Jesus. Let the Spirit lead. So those who continually practice these things, so don't get, don't get beat up about this. What's different about me than my neighbor, perhaps, is not that I'm not making mistakes, not messing up. It's that I feel the Holy Spirit's conviction. I feel like I need to repent. And that's Christ in me. That's not me. The unbeliever Feels little to no. You know, generally when people feel a sense of shame or guilt, it's not so much that they're, they're feeling bad about it themselves. It's that they hurt somebody. They're, they're sad that they hurt you. But they're really not sad at all internally. Yeah, I'm convinced people would just do whatever they want all the time if it, if it was a way to do it without it hurting anybody. So when people feel guilt or shame, they're, they're ashamed that you caught them or ashamed that it hurt you. However, my shame, I shouldn't say shame, but my, the, the conviction I feel is from God. And then he removes it, and then I feel no shame. I get real healing. And I'm having to do this every day. <laughs> Just like you, my friend. Every day, I will think or say or do. Some days I go a whole day and go, okay, I'm thinking back. And then I go, wait a minute, but there was that one moment I got angry on the road. It was so silly, you know. There's always something that brings repentance to my life. God's doing that. So don't don't feel guilty today. Don't feel ashamed today. No, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in conviction. And He's revealing it and He's correcting it. So let Him have it. Yield that to Him instead of saying, Okay, God, this is an area I simply have to have. I I have to have it because it's the place where I get relief. And if I don't have these things... In that list of 15 or something outside of it. If I don't, I won't be comfortable. I'll be exhausted. I won't get the relief I need, God. And yet, he's the restorer. He's the reviver. It's revealed. He brought it to light. Now allow him to correct it. What causes these works of the flesh? James writes this in James chapter 4. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Boy, that's strong. It's causing a fight. It's a war inside. It's a war inside me. That the Spirit of God will win if I yield. Romans 8, it says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if you, through the power of the Spirit, put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Walk by the Spirit. Let it lead you, revealing and correcting. Don't stay in a place of shame. Instead, address it. Say, thank you, God, for pointing that out. And if you're anything like me, you'll, you'll, start to, you'll start to see something. This is just the tip of the iceberg. That what's underneath the reason that I yell at my kids or what's underneath the, the, the reason that I um, am constantly angry, underneath that is some unmet passion or desire way down deep that I haven't given to God. Why can't my kids just behave perfectly today? I'm tired. Way underneath that is, I find my rest in some activity, not God. I I find my ability to re-energize in something other than Him. Down deep, down deep. God, show me. Reveal it. 
correct it. Why am I angry? Do I have a right to that anger? Why am I this? Why am I that? Here's the third. Pursue the Spirit's fruit, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Pursue it. I've been saying this for several weeks now, and I know this is kind of hard to hear, but I think it's true biblically. And that is that grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. It is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. God's grace has been freely given to you. But you should pursue it. You should pursue God. Why? Because He loves you. He is perfect. He has a great plan for you. And you're really, letting, you're really leaving something on the table if you just say, Okay, I've, all I need is what, what you said today. And, and I don't need anything further. I don't, I don't want to go any further with you, God. This is enough. That is a loss. No, instead, let's pursue it. Not as a way of earning, but as a way of growing. That's, I think, why the Spirit is considered here a fruit. Because we are the branches. We, we're, the, we're, we're, we're just part of the vine, right? And our only job is to hang on and to stay with Him. And then the fruit begins to bloom. We don't do that part. The roots are doing that. God's doing that. But we cling to Him. We pursue Him. And the fruit will come. This word fruit is clearly not works. He, he has a reason for the way he's phrased it. Works again and again in the scriptures have often a, a negative connotation. Here fruit. And it's one fruit. This one, this one's just a pet peeve. All right, you don't have to remember this. But it's not the fruits of the Spirit. So this week in small group, just don't. Okay? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Guess what? You get the whole thing. Sometimes we get real funky about this and we read the nine and go, you know, I don't really have all of those. Yes, you do. You have the fruit of the Spirit. And it seems to have nine, I guess you could call them seeds. They're all there. You're not so great at gentleness, let's say. I'm not so very patient, Jonathan. But the fruit has been given. It's my, it's my, my part to play now to pursue that. John 15, it says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. One fruit, nine virtues, singular, not plural. And these characteristics are shaped similarly in categories as what we saw before. Nine graces, and some say it's this way. It sounds really pretty to say it this way. Nine graces and three triads. Nine graces and three triads. We've got love, joy, and peace. These have something to do with the way our mind works, our feelings, in fact. Love, joy, and peace. This is the way my, my mind is interpreting things. The, the, the next three have to do with social relationships. My patience, my kindness, and my goodness have a lot to do with how I treat people. And then the last triad has to do with conduct, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One writer says of this, What then are the feelings that will dominate in a life that has been inwardly transformed to be like Christ's? They are the feelings associated with love, joy, peace, patience. You want to know what it looks, what a person looks like who's following Christ, who's really following and walking by the Spirit? You will see these evidences. This is why in Christian, often in Christian circles we'll say, you know, I don't know, I don't know if Johnny's doing okay. I don't know if Susie's doing well. I don't see any fruit. That's a weird thing to say like normally. But in, in, in our culture, it's very normal to say, I don't, I don't see any fruit in their life. And that has to do with, I'm not seeing these aspects, these virtues. They seem to be quite the opposite. Very quickly, looking at these in verse 22 and on, you've got the word agape. Most commentators, when looking at this, consider this to be the capstone. Like all of it kind of pours out of love. God, in fact, the Bible said, is love. This is agape, unconditional God kind of love. Paul might as well have just kind of put a period right here. He could have just said the fruit of the Spirit is love. And he'd have been right. And all of these things kind of unpack out of that. One, one, one person I was reading this week said, Love is not merely the first among equals in the list, but rather the source and the fountain from which all the other graces flow. This is why Paul writes uh, in another passage, Love fulfills the whole law. It's actually the passage just before what we've read today in verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love and then joy. 
gladness, cheer. A joy, though, that is beyond circumstance. It's a happiness in spite of happenings. There's peace, shalom, rest, patience. Most of you don't want to pray for that one. You don't want that to be one of the fruit of the Spirit, but it is. Macrothumia. Ironically, it's the opposite word of that anger word earlier. That thumia word that God keeps throwing at my way. He also said, oh, here you go, my son. Here's patience, which is macrothumia, which means it takes a really long time to boil. But Lord, I come from a family of short-fused people. It's my nature. To which he looks at me and says, well, of course it's your nature. You're a sinner. Like the rest of these people. It's not who you are in Christ Jesus though. It's not who you really are. Who you really are is patient. Long-suffering. Perseverant. Kindness. Goodness. Goodness has to do with benevolence and generosity. I'm a generous person. Faithful. Gentle. Gentleness in the sense of meekness. Not weakness or not a lack of strength, but rather a strength that's under control and that's careful with people. Careful with the way they feel. Some of you are smarter than the other people in this room. And some of you know it. You can, you, you can have a conversation, maybe even with me later, and go, he ain't so bright. And it's not totally my fault. I'm not so bright when I come off stage. I might just, because right, I'm a little bit, just, I've just worked a little bit. My brain's steaming. But you have these conversations. And gentleness, gentleness is having superiority, but using it under control. And taking care of people with it. I'm a lot stronger than my children. But throwing them around is not gentle. When they do something wrong, if I take them and just throw them out the outside and shut the door, I want to do that sometimes. But that's not gentle. And that's how we treat people sometimes. I'm physically stronger or mentally stronger than you, so I'm going to let you see that. That's not Christian gentleness. This, however, strength under control. And then lastly, self-control. That's like the finale, right? The one that most of us are wrestling with, constantly out of control. Against such things there is no law, and how do we do it? Verse 24 and 25, here's how. Crucify the flesh, keep in step with the Spirit, pursue it. Here's what I'm doing daily. This is why Paul says, I, make my, I beat my body daily and make it my slave. Every day I make this decision all over again. I know who I am in Jesus. I'm laying my life aside. I am yours, God. I am yours, and I need to say it again today. Because I'm tempted to walk my own path. I'm keeping in step now with the Spirit. I'm walking with you in conformity with Christ. Paul tells Timothy this very thing in 1 Timothy 6. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, there's a lot of people in, in Christian circles that would say, you've been saved by grace. That's all you need. And that's true in salvation sense. But I want you to understand something. The Bible says again and again, things like pursue. It means he's not done. He didn't take you home at the point of salvation. Why? You have a mission. It's incomplete. We have an incomplete mission. We have loved ones. We have co-workers. We have people in this world. And not just that. Not just the great commission, which is to be the hands and feet of Christ. Not just that. But we have a daily opportunity to pursue Him. And I think the point of that is like, all right, I want to I arrive <laughs> to my destination with a little bit of awareness of who I'm coming to see. Rather than show up and, God, I don't know how he'll phrase it, but like, boy, son, you made it in here by the skin of your teeth. I barely, you know, there's this passage where it speaks of, get away from me, I never knew you. But I think some of us are going to show up and say, Jonathan, I barely knew you. Now come on in. But boy, you missed out. I don't know what that's going to look like exactly. Pursue, it says. Pursue righteousness. Verse 12, fight the good. These are active things. We should be doing them. He tells this to the pastor of the church of Ephesus. It's really important. Pursue it. Never tire of these kinds of things. Okay, 
I'm going to tell my small group this week. I'm going to tell my spouse when I get home. I'm going to tell my kids, hey, look, kids, I'm not very patient. But the truth is this. The Spirit of God is in me. And His fruit is already evident in me. I'm going to make, I'm going to make this one of my life pursuits. God, you've already said it's mine. Teach me, show me, instruct me, guide me. Help me to keep in step. Uh, this love, Colossians 3, it says, Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love. I want to share with you an image that is kind of, has been a kind of a popular image in our church. It's, it's in our Life on Life discipleship material, but uh, it's a way to start thinking about your feelings that I hope will help you. You can pop this up. So your life is kind of like this. It's, you're, you're a train. You're, you're choo-chooing wherever you're going. And those of you who have given your life to Christ, you have faith. And you have facts that are true. But everybody in this life has a certain type of faith. And they have a choice every day. I'm going to put my faith in my feelings or I'm going to put my faith in the facts. Now, if any of you know how a train works, if you take the faith spot where the coal is, the faith spot's the coal caboose. If you throw that in the back where the passengers are, guess what the train's going to do? It's going to stop and the people are going to be filthy. They're going to be covered in coal. And this is what you do in your life. You take all your, and you say, well, the way I feel today is I'm a little indigested, you know? So maybe something's not right with my life. I'm a little bit tired. You know, yesterday, Sally said this to me, and it's really hurt my feelings, and for, for the rest of the week, I hate work. Some of us are motivated that way. So we take all of our faith, the way we think, the way we feel, and we throw it back there in the way we feel. And the train stops, and our life's a mess. Instead of taking the coal and putting it in the engine, what are the facts? What are the facts? I'm a sinner saved by grace. God loves me, offers a wonderful plan for my life. Christ Jesus has given me the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, is actually in my life. Now I can keep in step. I can walk with Him. The facts are, I'm not what I once was. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I need to stop living the way I've been living because that's not who I am anymore. Those are the facts. The facts are, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a, I'm a diligent worker for the, for the father. These are the facts. If I start shoveling all the coal up there, something funny happens. Something funny happens. The feelings will follow. Now, some of you think, oh, that sounds kind of like fake it till you make it. I would encourage some of you to treat your devotional life this way for, for now. But Jonathan, I've never, I've never read the Bible really on my own. I've never really had a habit of prayer. Tomorrow, when you wake up, five minutes. Can you find five minutes to pray? What am I going to pray about? I don't know. Talk to God like he, He's standing right next to you. We used to do this thing where we, we literally put a chair in the room and just pretend He's sitting there. Now talk to Him. That's prayer. <laughs> That's what it looks like. We don't have to know these and thous. None of us are very good at King James anymore. Sit Him in the room. God, this is what I'm dealing with. Five minutes of prayer. Then it becomes ten minutes. Let me add a little bit of reading in here. I don't know what I'm reading. Just go for it. Maybe start in the New Testament. I wouldn't recommend hopping in numbers to start your day. That's a difficult start. You can get there, all right? Maybe start in the book of John. Maybe somewhere in one of Paul's letters. You choose. Pursue the Spirit's fruit. Learn to put your faith in the facts. The facts are you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. One, He's looking to renovate and transform your life. In a way you couldn't imagine. Way better than you would ever imagine. Rely on the Spirit. Let Him lead. Pursue the Spirit's fruit. Let's pray together now, church. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so thankful for you. Again this morning, I'm reminded that the difficulties of this faith are really about setting my own, my own way aside. That's what makes this Difficult. It's not that I need to have some fantastic effort. It's not that I have to know all the answers. It's not that I have to be powerful enough in my mind, in my, in my soul, even in my spirit. It's not that I have to have some kind of amazing power there to follow Jesus. No, the difficulty lies in setting my own way aside. And that's the battle I have to fight every day. 
And God, I recognize that challenge. But at the same time, I'm really thankful for that because I know this. I couldn't save myself. I know something else too, God. There are some temptations that are quite great in my life. And I don't always know how to overcome them. My emotions, boy, I chase them. The way I feel, sometimes it doesn't even make sense. I felt good when I went to sleep and I woke up different. I got up on the wrong side of the bed, as people used to say. And I'm a mess. I'm thankful, God, that that's, you don't need me to be right. You don't need me to be perfect to come to you. But the part I have to do is to set my own way aside. God, would you do that? Would you do that in me? Do that in your people? Do that in your church? That the first step of transformation for us today would be, okay, God, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will for my spouse. Not my will for the person I'm dating. Not my will for my children. Not my will for this job. I think I know what I want. I think I know what I should do. How I should think. How I should act. But God. Not my will but yours be done. Help me to yield. Help me to abide in the vine. To yield to your work. And that begins with me saying. Okay. I'm not in charge. Okay God. I'm not, I'm not in charge. I see that now. I understand that. So God. Now that you're in the driver's seat. Now that you're on the throne of my life, I'm putting you there again today and tomorrow. Every day I'm putting you back where you belong as sovereign in my life. Now, Lord, would you do something in me? You just read about the fruit of the Spirit, God. I'm in trouble. I'm angry with people sometimes. I'm impatient. Lord, I'm depressed. Lord, I'm struggling with this. I have a difficulty with this addiction, God. You're in charge. Would you? I want to keep in step with the Spirit, God. Would you begin to reveal these things in my life and help me? First of all, here they are. I repent of them. I don't want this. This is not who I want to be. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to be like you. Not my will, but yours be done in my life. Pour out your Holy Spirit on my life, Lord. Help me to love, not only beginning with myself, but love others as you love them. Show me this joy and this peace. I'm so anxious all the time, God. Pour out a spirit of peace on my life. I want to be faithful. I want to be self-controlled. God, pour out your spirit on my life. Do that in your church, Lord. Do that in your people. Help us to be a people shaped by the spirit of God. That the fruit would pour out not only in our personal lives, but in this city. God, we're still here. You have a purpose for us in this place. Not only are we still on this earth, but we're in this place at this specific time. Why? If not for your glory and your mission, your purpose. So show us that. Reveal that to us. Help us to be a lighthouse in this place. Pour out the Spirit of God on us. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.